Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего». «Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь». Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Yeah. 
Субтитры 
your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depth of the wisdom of God that the Lord, depending on our spiritual growth, reveals to us deeper and greater, Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. This is a commanding in a commanding form, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. And so this promise this promise in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students therefore people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goal that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected. We died for reigning sin. That is the old person. This is one of his names, is reigning sin. And as he is eternal, then we are the ones who die by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the law, we died for the law. And when we rose in a new form, reigning sin has no part to us anymore. We it no longer can reign over us. It loses uh, authority over our soul and it remains still in our body but in a prison. And by doing so, receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God the foundation to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. Considering that Abraham is the father of all who believe, we need to receive the inheritance of peace by the means of the righteousness of God as he did give to Abraham. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. Independent from the law, Abraham received justification and began to perform righteousness. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. As Abraham obeyed the voice of God, our obedience is obedience to the word of God. 
that is sent by his delegated people, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends to us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which the sp- which is the spoken word of his go- of, of God's delegated people. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the Im- implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. God made it possible that every person within his heart would be able to be convinced that this is the person whom God has sent. For every one of his children, he gave them the anointing, the ability to differentiate and to determine. 1 John 2, 18 through 26. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, the word Antichrist is a hater of Christ, one who is hater, a hater of Christ. Even now many Antichrists have come, many people who hate Christ have come, by which these were not Romans, these were not Jews, Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, they didn't know Christ. To hate Christ, you need to know Christ first. By which we know that this is the last hour that the many Antichrists have come. They, these Antichrists of Christ, these Antichrists, haters of Christ, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they may be be manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Any church that is formed by the method of division against the teaching of Christ, principles of Christ. Christ had come to separate so that people may be able to see who God is and who man is, what the wisdom of God is and what the wisdom of man is. And so when people perform division, we need to understand that there is a division that is inspired by the Holy Spirit in order to separate the people from destruction. Apostle Paul preached, and when the disciples gathered, and amongst these disciples there were haters that hated Christ that then he would separate he would perform division among them and uh, left those who did want to hear and the others he told them to leave. When periodically I would say this, these people would tell me, Pastor, why are you telling us to leave? I said, I'm not telling you to leave. I'm talking about those people that resist the truth. If you don't accept God's order, If you think that you are in the category of haters of Christ, then the door is open. No one's holding you here. God says, I offer you life and death, blessing and cursing. I want you to choose life. 
but you are a sovereign individual and we will not allow that in the church of God there's someone that will be coming up saying, well, I don't agree with this, I don't want this. If these people will not leave on their own, then of course this person needs to be excluded they th or the, they themselves exclude themselves. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God, that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness. It is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that canon is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so we, our minds are, are guarded when we receive by faith God's promises and are saturated in them. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Филиппийцам послание апостола Павла, глава 4, стихи 6, 7. Открывать с благодарением With thanksgiving means be confident that upon your account in Jesus Christ all of the responses are there. God has placed the responses given them to us in Christ Jesus. And in order to take from that account, you need to thank God that we already have it within our heart and wait and proclaim the non-existent as existent. The peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. While a person becomes has not become spiritual, his mind will resist God, he will live by according to the flesh, and his thoughts will lead him to death. Either thoughts about great evangelism. Recently, a person wrote me a letter, I see myself upon a stadium preaching. But I said, why don't you see yourself in a prison cell and suffering because of the uh, and being persecuted uh, for the sake of the truth. People don't see themselves in that situation because to suffer for the sake of Christ is greater than preaching to people from a stadium. Who will inherit with, his king, with him in his kingdom? Jesus said, not those who will preach on a stadium, but those who have uh, been with me in my trials. As you've continued with me in my trials, I will bestow upon you a kingdom, he says, not those who preach, upon, uh, preach uh, on uh, from the stadiums or from wherever else. 
And so according to the statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and, not, and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. The unique peace of God does not depend from loss or gain, from illness or health. It's stable. It's not dependent from the things happening on earth. It is in a different realm. And being within us, he is completely stable. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that that is, of course, the born spirit. Renewed, Our spirit, that's our born spirit from God with our renewed mind. Only the collaboration of these two that are within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of peace or the peace of God and the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we've been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves that we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God, as it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, or blessed are those who perform peace, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. With this, we've noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification, which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God, so that he in his righteousness would bear fruits of peace which is why the prepared-for-them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to be or to be in the promise of this peace, where they can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 Hold fast righteousness as the work of, the, of great redemption. Don't think that with your good works, with your deeds, you obtain this righteousness and the right to inherit the kingdom of heaven. As soon as you have these kinds of thoughts and you accept these thoughts, consider yourself as uh, damned to destruction. We know millions of Christian people that today are evangelizing, doing good work, go and uh, bring meals to the poor, uh, organize uh, dinners and so forth. And with an orchestra, they march to hell, thinking they're marching to heaven because they have forgotten who it's given to. Again, but you have been those who have continued with me in my trials, and I give you the kingdom as my heavenly Father has given to me. 
that you may eat and drink it with me in my kingdom. These people can't even be at the banquet of the Lord. They don't have the opportunity. They called, he calls them to, uh, to a banquet and they say, I bought myself a field, I go to preach. The other one says, I bought myself the oxen as it's written in the Bible. The other one says, I got married. The other one says, I built my house. I'm sorry, I can't come to this banquet. You think that people don't hear that the banquet is already going. Of course they hear, but they don't want to go there. And they think God excuses that. They are, are either evangelizing or participating in that or other things that they're doing. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side of the participants of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God in the obligations of that very covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that were agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be man. God will never violate his word. He is unchanging in his words. Then the other side, God, is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we would share with him all the things that are to be written about him in the lost prophets and psalms so that he can be enthroned not just in our spirit, in our mind, but also in our mortal body, destroying the strongholds of death and with noise casting it into hell and erect a stronghold of life. And before the Lord comes for his bride, the bride will already have within her body the stronghold of resurrection. And so... For her, it will be just be needed to be transformed in the blink of an eye so that the body be different, be heavenly. There's the uh, mortal body and then the heavenly body. Those in the earthly bodies will have the stronghold of resurrection, will be transformed. Because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us, pursue peace with all people, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. It is not possible to have peace with all people without holiness. These are always together. Peace and holiness come together. We've noted that in this place of Scripture, we are talking about a form of, of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or being expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably, 
with all men, the same apostle writes in Romans 12:18. We note that the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life. We decide for ourselves who we need to communicate with and who we shouldn't communicate with. And so it's a crime to communicate with those. Because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company, we say that they're good, they're holy, but the scripture called them evil, will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupt good habits. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Evil company is not the world. The world can't defile you, just so you know. When you sit together with a person at a table to eat and communicate with him, he can't defile you because he does not exist for God. You are defiled but by one who used to be holy but then was defiled himself. Unclean are those who were previously holy. The world has never been holy to become unclean. And so the Apostle Paul says, I don't say that you should come out of the world, but don't communicate with those who call themselves a brother or sister, but legalize sin and say this is not a sin, but are within sin, and don't eat with such people, he says. Do not communicate with them, you will be defiled even by their garments. But from the words, they tell you, you pick up the phone and you say, hello, and you hear the voice of this wicked person and you feel something unpleasant. You feel like something uh, unclean has been around you. According to the teaching of Christ, you say, Lord, may the blood of the covenant be protect me from this impurity. Understand how important it is to separate from that, from them, because this will determine whether you you inherit destruction or heaven. Because these unclean are filling the churches today, and these wicked fill the churches today. God is performing His miracles. He's leading them out. They become angry. They can't sit anymore. Even though before then, they always said, we will never leave here and so forth and ta- tell everyone how much they love love everyone. And two, three weeks pass and they become angry and leave. God says, in the last days, what will I do? I will send my angels and they will begin to tear out all these weeds. He didn't give us the the job of tearing out these weeds because he said be careful that you not pull out the weeds that you pull out the uh, the wheat as well he will put these unclean in such situations that they will not be able to bear being in the church anymore they will leave alone this is what God will do. He already is doing it. He's binding them into sheaves. And they immediately, as soon as they come out, they begin to look for a sheave where they can connect to, where they can communicate, who they can communicate with. And so they then hang medals on them that they came out from such suffering, 
where there's a totalitarian or there's a dictatorship or so forth. It is them who have these. Uh, they they name their their churches, so-called churches, as with great names, but these are uh, satanic gatherings. The ver uh, therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless who support the unclean that in their time accepted the truth but afterwards left the church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of their rebelliousness and resistance of the words spoken by God's delegated people who are placed over them testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21 But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. It's also written in the 49th chapter and other places of Scripture always uh, say the same exact things. As soon as these people begin to speak, they bring out from their heart an evil heart, and they bring out the evil that's in their heart. As soon as they say something, it is just mire and dirt. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. That again, not examining our neighbor, but ourselves. The seventh sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. The love of God is not tolerant, it is holy. If it is tolerant and loves everyone, then it's not holy. But God is holy, so His love is holy, and a holy love is a selective love. He loves those who love Him and hate those who hate Him. The Son of God came and died for who? He gave Himself for His church, washing her with waters, with his word so that she be without blemish and pure before him for everyone no only first church there are many people who call themselves a church but they're not a church they say that they are so but the scriptures say that they are not so they are gathering of they are synagogues of satan he died only for his church <clears throat> when the angel of god came to joseph the, the husband of mary <clears throat> when he uh, when Joseph thought that uh, Mary had betrayed him, uh, he, this angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what is, what is within her is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he shall save the people from their very sins. He will save his own people. And who are his own people are those who will love him, those who will be obedient to his order, to his words, not all are obedient to the preached word. Isaiah writes, who has believed our report, and he says this sorrowfully, he says not all have believed it. And so faith comes by hearing the word of God, the preached word of God, but not all listen to the word of God, but only some. And so there are many who are, there are many who are called, few that are chosen. There are many who are called, uh, few are chosen. If God is tolerant and loves everyone, then why is it that the small flock is saved? The chosen, uh, the, the called are the Antichrist and the chosen are the church of, of the Lord. 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful, with Colossians 3.14.15. Here we're talking about a holy love of God, a selective love of God. We have noted that according to this place of scripture, the rule of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, that, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. We will know that it is not possible to have peace with all men, and it's not necessary to bless everyone. As soon as you begin to bless everyone without checking, if you can imagine... You need to love everyone. And I, I ask Satan also, if you say everyone, what about the children of the devil who are called children of the devil? Jesus called the children of the devil all of the elite that was there at the time. Only Nicodemus and Joseph were the two uh, from the Sanhedrin that were of a different heart. But the rest of them, the scribes and Pharisees, he said, your father's the devil, and they became angry. Our father's Abraham. He said, no, if Abraham were your father, you would do the things that he did. You would listen to me. Your, your father Abraham rejoiced to hear his, when he saw and he said, who are you? You're not even 50 years old, and you see, say you've seen Abraham. But before Abraham was, I am, he said. I was before Abraham. By itself, the selective love of God isn't uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with his children. To comprehend the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the, of the peace of God and make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. However, to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken word of the apostles and prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. First, each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. If you see these words in the dictionaries, they are in the dictionaries, but there will be a very different definition of these words. The scriptures, these uh, qualities of virtue, the scriptures give them very different 
give them very different definitions because these are the characteristics of God. In the dictionary, you'll see the words virtue and other knowledge of control, but the scriptures identify these words as something very different. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He sends his uh, reigns and his son on the just and on, on the unjust. And as soon as he sends his light, his son, for the unrighteous, this is uh, this light is a wrath as it burns burns with his with his son. But for the righteous, the sun caresses them, gives them heat and warmth and protects them. For the one, there are people who in the fiery furnace that they were thrown into, they, did, they were destroyed before they even reached the bottom. But the others walked as in the cool of the day amongst this, in this fire, amongst the flames and uh, felt bliss. A great difference. The given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Christ Jesus. The given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. In order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Without receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, we will never be able to be uh, to be able to demonstrate these qualities of virtue in our faith. The means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. By inheriting these great and precious promises, we become part of God's divine nature. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God <coughs> in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God because God is love. More specifically, holy love is separated from all that man calls love. And such an uncomprehending for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of perfection, which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first or head of all of his other perfections identified as his virtues. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the quali seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all of his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes and goals of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. 
Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. We note that the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil men and, do and those who do this evil. When we love everyone equally, the evil and the good, this is not love. This is a perversion that came from hell in order to drown God's love, but it's not able to be drowned. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father, considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the unearthly realm of the human lexicon. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified as His burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God and the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stop to study the virtue of love in the mystery of great godliness. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. From such withdraw yourself. 1 Timothy 6, 3, 4. Withdraw yourself, that means don't communicate, don't eat with such people, do not help such people. According to this place of scripture, we note that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with disputes and arguments over words are not only opposite or contrary to one another, but are also unfitting by their nature. God has his order in the church. The teacher teaches and the students receive it and, and don't say, well, I don't agree with this, I don't understand things this way. This is not the body of Christ that would say this. When people say, I don't understand it this way, these don't belong to the body of Christ. A student never says, I don't understand it this way. If a student doesn't understand something, then he knows that those things he doesn't understand, he needs to put upon the show, uh, table of showbreads for the Lord. 
Those things we don't understand, but we accept as the food of God, which is upon the table of showbreads within ourselves. But those things we do understand and accept is our food. But when the Sabbath comes, the celebration of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, the Lord takes from this table of showbreads uh, and tells you, take and eat what you did not understand. Now you will understand it and put something fresh than on the table which you don't understand always inside of a person there needs to be things words that they do not understand but accept to treasure them as the treasure of your heart this is the food of god the discipline of godliness within the selective love of god is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching linked together with the great mystery of god of of god first timothy 3:16, and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness god was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit seen by angels preached among the gentiles believed on in the world received up in glory Therefore, by demonstrating the sign of the fruit of godliness, we identify the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, in his actions, and the manner in which he or she dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite sex. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate uh, relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God in godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Relevant to this fact, it was necessary for us to respond to four classical questions. First, what are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture, that of God as well as that of man? Because there are similar characteristics of godliness, but there are those that are only in God and others, and, and the person doesn't have these, or man doesn't have them. Second, what purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God and man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? By what signs are we able to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness or goodness of God? In a specific format, we've already looked at a certain part of the first question, what are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture, that of God and that of man? And before we study the qualities of the mystery of godliness, we note that we need to differentiate the goodness of God in his favor from the godliness of man, that man is called to demonstrate in his love to God because when we are given the goodness of God, the grace of God, it's given for what? It's given to us because of our godliness. Grace for grace, it says. Grace for grace, so thanksgiving for thanksgiving. Turn to me and I will turn to you. <clears throat> when a person uh, demonstrates his favor to God, then God shows his favor to man. A person has the right to give, uh, demonstrate his favor to open up his heart before God. As he told Daniel, because you opened your heart, it's dependent on us whether we open up our heart to God and meditate about the laws of the Most High. 
The goodness of God is the kindness of God identified as his good, acceptable, and perfect will, which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by him as a commandment and revealed to the Holy Spirit and Son, not the Son or Holy Spirit, formed this will. The Heavenly Father formed the will that he has and then gave it to the Holy Spirit and the Son as, and gave it to them as a law, as a commandment. The goodness of God as a commandment of God was elevated by God as a law, a law for himself, his Son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as his chosen flock, whom he foreknew and predestined so that they be in the image of a son, so that he be the firstborn among many brothers. Romans 8.29 For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so he foreknew us before the creation of the world. He already knew ahead of time, being God, who all knows, knows all things, sees all things, that before, before we were born, he already knew that when he approaches you, when he uh, speaks to your heart, you will respond to him, but another one will hear but and will go, but only for a specific amount of time and then will stop going and stop continuing with him. Those who will be with him till the end, these are the ones that he will be firstborn among many brethren. And we in Jesus Christ to be the firstborn. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the great mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit of godliness that exists as well that will conflict or confront the true form of godliness having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For 2 Timothy 3.5 I will remind us of an incident. I've already said it before. I think told you before. Uh, I came to America and a brother found out that I came to America. He visited me previously. He came to he was speaking to me and the question came up about holy and righteous and when he understood that he was holy and righteous by the fact of his birth from God he said listen today there are episcopals and pastors that are gathering this place let's go there I go there with him we just came here and truly a lot of pastors and episcopals came together that were very uh, as dignified people as it appeared and he was so happy and told them brothers which one of you is holy and righteous and I see one at, as uh, and, as and it looked like a turkey got very very uh, say uh, prideful or that wasn't happy, he wasn't pleased with what he heard. Uh, and they said, no, well, we're, we want to be righteous, but we're not righteous yet. And he's looking at me so that I began to talk to them about this. And I just made, uh, made it look like I'm not paying attention because I perfectly understand that they will not accept what I say. I know that they will not accept. I see it. The Holy Spirit says, speak when a person can receive it. But if they will not uh, receive it, so don't catch your pearls to pigs. And so these are pigs or... or 
Or as an example, they are either... And so to be holy and righteous, you need, as they tell the woman, you need to bear children and, and keep your head covered. But to the man I ask, so why are you so are you being saved by by your sweat? Then why did Jesus come? If you could just be saved by uh, having uh, if you if you're able to bear children and by bearing children you can be saved, then all the Arabs would be saved as well because they all have many children there, and every man attempts there to have as many children as po possible. I was watching on television there's 200 oh, and, and um, more people uh, 200 or more uh, men and so from one father because he has multiple wives and so he has so many children and so what is he going to be saved uh, because he has so many children uh, and unlike the women here that I just cover the, the, their head they actually cover their entire body um, and so people again have this understanding you'll be saved by having children an inaccurate understanding True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all, breaks all relationships or contacts with, with these people and distances itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we, if we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. In a specific format, we've already looked at some characteristics of godliness, as well as in what cases our godliness is called to collaborate with the goodness of God in his favor. Therefore, we will continue our study of godliness. Godliness and the selective love of God is in the fear of the Lord. Jeremiah 32, 39. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. How does the godliness, of, uh, goodness of God end up in our heart? God's love and his goodness and his favor end up in our heart. By one heart and one way, it's written. We can't fear God until we have, we are one body in Christ Jesus. And I will give them one heart and one way. That they may fear me forever. That only then can they be filled with my fear, in other words. And because of the fear that they will have, we then understand the goodness that is in God. For the good of them and their children. We can experience God's goodness by the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord can only be possible or we can be filled with it when we are of one heart and one, one way. If we And we cannot be in that one heart and one way if we're not within the order of God. If there's not one head but many heads, God does not give two heads, he gives one head. The helpers of pastor are not the pastor. There's one pastor, one head. The wife of pastor is also not a head. Sometimes I tell these pastors, 
in our move in our church they think that their wife has the same anointing as he does and I tell them Jesus that Jesus the body of Christ doesn't have one head yes then why do you have two heads in your church you and your wife and he looks at me well we're one body and I said yes you're one body but in the church it can't be that this one body be of two heads either she if you consider that she is greater than you spiritually then she let her be the head or you and in your presence if she's not in your presence she can't teach or speak while you're in that in that role but if and so why did you decide that your wife can teach I understand that some, you know when you are together and she's a spiritual person sometimes people marry just an attractive woman that may have recently repented that doesn't even have any knowledge of God at all in her heart or mind and he tells this is my wife and so he, he commands everyone to listen to her because she's also his, she's his wife this is very unfortunate and so one heart one way is when we accept the order of God in that person whom God has placed but whenever each person says I have my own head I have my my own Bible this is not one way this is not the body of Christ this is some kind of creature with many heads we will understand that I won't return again to those things but we already looked at this very truth in many places of scripture what the goodness of God consists of and now we will look at the godliness of man where a person is called to demonstrate his love to God to collaborate with the goodness of God in his favor toward man the godliness of man where a person is called to demonstrate his love to God and collaborate with the goodness of God is the need to give thanks to God his requirement and need to give thanks to God Psalm 92, 1-5 It is good to give thanks to, to the Lord. It is good to give thanks. My godliness is in that I will give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sounds. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. You see how the godliness of a person is expressed when it comes to God. How great an artistic uh, form it has where a person is uh, has satisfaction and joy he's satisfied with this he experiences a great satisfaction that he has the right not all have the right it is written it is good for the righteous to to give thanks to god if you're not righteous and you're trying to only be righteous how can you sing psalms they say well we're not yet righteous then why are you singing songs why are you saying, Lord, I thank you, glory? You don't have the right to do this if you're not righteous. How can an uh, enemy of God or 
an unrighteous and wicked person praise God. If you're trying to become righteous because you're fasting, doing good work, praying, then why did Jesus come? Why did he come? then you yourself can redeem yourself. There's not a single righteous one. Not a single one can redeem themselves. All have been uh, condemned, but he came and gave us justification freely in his grace. He and Jesus Christ reconciled the world, not accounting their sins to them. When a person accepts this justification freely, and from the position of this justification he performs righteousness, that is when they can glorify God. And so even when you sin, then you can still glorify God because the righteous can fall seven times, but is not uh, a sinner. Again, let us remember this, that our children can disobey us, can fall somewhere, but they don't lose the right to be our son or daughter. It's the opposite. When they hurt themselves, you raise them up. I told you, you don't say, it's not that, oh, I, to, I told you, that, and you deserve it. And you don't do this. Why did you decide that God is going to do this when his children fall into sin, as sin hurts a person? A person begins to suffer inside of himself from what he, because of what he did. Why do you think that God will not pay attention to him in this moment? God has compassion upon him. He sees that he's fallen. And he says, daughter, I love you. I have not left you. R stand up. Confess your sins. The righteous will fall seven times, will rise again. The wicked will fall once and will not rise again. And so calm your heart. All of us have sinned much. There's not a single person who not who has not sinned. But the scriptures say, if we sin, we have our meeting, Jesus Christ, who is righteous, who died for our sins. And if we confess our sins, that he, being faithful and true, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Solomon prayed, Lord, we are yours, but we will not sin, knowing we are called to be yours. Yes, we sin. There's one when you sin. When 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 you're a sinner, that you are in the state of sin continually. But uh, committing a sin, uh, if because of the trickery of other men, or if a person not freed from certain things yet, when in our body two two men people live, one is evil, one is. And so when I need to do good, Apostle Paul writes, I. I want to do good, but I do evil. Who will deliver me from this, he prayed. Me is one thing, who I am is one thing, but what lives in, in me is evil. Don't say that your soul is wicked. You, reigning sin, lives there. This old person that I received as an inheritance from the seed of our, my father,
And sin my mother born me, uh, David, uh, David said. And so by redemption, the Lord gives us the ability to be free from this reigning sin. And we need to know that it's not eternally that you will be stumbling or falling. The day will come when you will rise from, the de- from death and you will, will then confront all dependence and it will still be there, but it will not rule over you anymore. As, as Paul says further, consider yourself dead to sin and living for God. Do not pay attention that he lives there and what you feel. Consider that the Lord has delivered you because the Lord is faithful to his word. God sees you as free. When you by faith receive this and confess this, then the Lord sees you this way. He doesn't see what is in that you have emotions, feelings, desire to sin. He sees that you've made the decision not to sin and have uh, proclaimed the fact that sin is an enemy to you and he then gives you gives thanks to you for this and by the measure of your growth you will be delivered and so for to the ends of the age we will receive which is here coming we will receive the promise that belongs to the door of our hope and the sinful nature this reigning sin will be cast into hell with noise to then erect this stronghold of resurrection. And so only righteous can praise the Lord. The godliness of man where a person is called to demonstrate his love to God and collaborate with the goodness of God is the need to visit the orphans and widows in their troubles and keep yourself undefiled by the world. James 1.27 James, he is a, a, a brother of Jesus. And so can you, can you imagine when a brother has accepted in his other brother the Messiah, the Lord, and he didn't call himself a brother of the Lord, but as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine the kind of humility you need to have. Generally, brothers amongst each other, they will never accept. You see how younger brothers uh, argue with their older brothers. And so here James writes, pure and undefiled religion, that is godliness before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You think uh, about real orphans and widows. The orphans are people that had died for the house of their father. Widows are people who by the law died for the law for this reigning sin that was their husband before this. These are the ones to visit. Often, actual orphans and widows are not in need of visitation. Of course, don't exclude that uh, that this may be a need but first of all orphans and widows these are a specific category of people that are seen this way in scripture or called this way in scripture to keep yourself undefiled by the world or unspotted from the world 
This is godliness that we are called to demonstrate in our faith. The godliness of man where a person is called to demonstrate his love to God and collaborate with the goodness of God is presented in the ability to restrain and discipline your tongue, not your neighbor telling him, keep silent, but tell yourself, be silent. If anyone among you thinks he is religious or godly and does not bridle his tongue but uh, deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. James 1.26 It's interesting that when, if we want to truly be godly, you can... Uh, you can determine this uh, by if there is uh, arguments in words uh, and a person is able to withhold his mouth. At, uh, timely, you need to close your mouth, humble yourself, and don't say, and so God wants to see how you will behave in certain situations. Sometimes a pastor is uh, in a situation, uh, sits, uh, uh, and uh, you can't even approach this pastor. You have to bow at least 50 times before you get to him as if you're approaching some kind of uh, royalty or king. A pastor is a person that can easily be approached and pour out a bucket of mud on him. This doesn't mean you need to behave that way, but that's as easy, how easily you can approach him. We accept upon ourselves the... Uh, the mockery of Christ upon, upon our own heads. Uh, it wasn't Jesus that was... It wasn't, it wasn't that when Jesus was being mocked that he said, Who are you? Do you know who I am? How dare you say this to me? He says, I honor my Father and you dishonor me is what Jesus said. And I speak the things only that I hear from my Father. But you see, you, you, you speak of the things that you see or of your own Father. And so Jesus says, do you think that I can uh, plead a uh, request of the Father? He can send legions of angels, Jesus said. This is how the children of God are identified when they can react to offenses and mockery correctly, when they can timely close their mouth and restrain their mouth to be gentle. Jesus says, uh, learn from me. I'm gen gentle and lowly in heart. And why can we not find peace? Yes, we are sharp when it comes to words. We force someone to be silent and then we walk walk away and, and then feel very bad in our heart. Uh, we, 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 we say, oh, we closed our mouth, this evildoer. You see what, what happens between a, a husband and a wife. Both are angry and upset and both hurt in their heart because the one did not close their mouth. The one that closes their mouth first, that's the one that is greater and that's the one that has godliness. This is the true demonstration of godliness.
The one that is uh, godly and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. The godliness of man where a person is called to demonstrate his love to God and collaborate with the goodness of God is to pray everywhere by lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Not with your fingers up, but your hands fully up before the Lord. I mean, when they start showing their the, the pseudo-charismatic churches, they lift their fing, uh, fingers uh, in certain uh, ways and, and believe that they're serving the Lord, not understanding what they are doing. 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women confessing godliness with good works. It's interesting that lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, if we lift our hands and we have doubt that God can fulfill his promises, or if we have some kind of uh, anger that God doesn't do it when we he doesn't do something in the time we want him to, or we're angry at someone else, then this offends God. You know, the offering when it was shake, shaken before the Lord, they would shake it before the Lord. This, and so an offering that is uh, brought incorrectly before the Lord, and so the shaking of the offering symbolized lifting up your holy hands. If, if, if doubt is there, God doesn't hear these prayers. It's important that when you pray, lift up your hands. First, make the decision. You can lift them up and say, Lord, I've forgiven all of those who have offended me. I do not have any anger. I hate this bitterness and anger. May your mercy be blessed. May every, I believe that everything that I need you placed upon my account in Jesus Christ, and you yourself know what you need to give me. Teach me your wisdom so I know what I need to take from my account, what will be good for me this day. Second question, what purpose is godliness to fulfill within the relationship of God and man? The purpose of godliness in the selective love of God is called to take part in the betrothal of God and man in righteousness and justice in loving kindness and mercy. Hosea 2.19 I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice in loving kindness and mercy. First, I will betroth you forever in righteousness. And so when a person performs righteousness or receives right, uh, justification, a person, uh, the Lord then is betrothed to this person. And when you turn your justification to, to, to profit you, but when a person doesn't, invest this righteousness and so when a person two people come together they make a covenant I promise that I will be a faithful husband I will not betray you all of my resources that I will earn and money 
all will belong to both of us. I give all this to you. I promise to keep you safe, to protect you, and so forth. Same thing, the wife promises this, and I will betroth you in righteousness, is what the Lord says. It happens in righteousness, to perform righteousness. The word righteous, that's justice, and justice and loving kindness and mercy. The purpose of godliness and the selective love of God is called to take part in making us alive together with Christ. And so godliness with which it has the purpose to make us alive in Christ, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. Christ Jesus. And so we see here that the goodness, uh, kindness that is in Christ Jesus takes part in making us alive in Christ, together with Christ. Because people, if you pay attention, constantly talk about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're so cycled on that. But the resurrection, they only talk about that during the time of Easter. And when the Easter time finishes, for some reason, their Jesus dies and they and he dies and he lays there like that for a whole year. And if you dare say that Jesus has resurrected in church, People will look at you in some weird way. You'll see silence. I understand that if I say this, you'll say, assuredly, he, he is raised from the dead because you're taught and you know that the resurrection of Christ is not a separate day, but a state in which you continue to be. This, you didn't just die in Christ, but you resurrected in Christ. Jesus doesn't remain in his death. He's resurrected. When you are baptized by water, you don't continually remain under the water there. You immediately rise from the water to live already a different life. When you uh, pass the Jordan, you don't stop and live in the Jordan and don't shout, uh, uh, we come out from the Jordan and ex the exiting the Jordan is already resurrection. You need to talk about the resurrection. This is the result of the death of Christ. If, there, if Jesus died, where is the result that you died with Christ? Where is the result that you by baptism are, are, are submerged into his death? There, is de there has to be a result of all of this. Justification we receive not in the death of the Lord Jesus, but in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus died for our sins, and was resurrected for our justification. Where is justification in his resurrection? When we are submerged and when we're raised again, we are justified. We receive justification. We die with the Lord. He dies for our sins. It's interesting that he takes us together with our reigning sin and dies. And we, by the, with the, by the law, die for the law. He raises up, and when he's raised it again, then reigning sin is no longer there because during the time of resurrection, reigning sin is cast with noise into hell, and we now raise with Christ independent from sin, and it has no more ability to rule over us. And he perfectly understands this, and the Lord sees that our bodies are already redeemed, and he has 
had uh, left this for the last time, for the body to be uh, delivered. The purpose of godliness and the selective love of God is called to make a person perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. And so even perfection that we are called without godliness, only the goodness of God will bring us and make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. And so again, the law had a shadow of good things. It could not justify a person. It condemned a person and there, there were definitely symbols of this, the shadow of good things, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. And so when you come by the blood of the Lord Jesus, you become perfect, the Lord sees you, he, observe, he, he looks at you, observes his children as perfect. The law of Moses is not a demonstration, it's not a carrier or demonstrator of the goodness of God, it is also the same with the priesthood of this law. Every one of us individually, and it's not just I as a pastor, is a, in the priesthood, but every individual person is in the priesthood. God has made not just me, but every of us individually as a king and a priest to himself. Your spirit is your priest, and your mind is your king. This is the renewed mind. There's a different, there are different kings. I'm talking about the king and a priest is the renewed mind and the spirit that has that bears fruits of righteousness. And so as a holy servant of the Lord, you can then take of the goodness of God, you can represent his perfection. The purpose of godliness and the selective love of God is the favor of God, his thanksgiving, and his good work as a response to the favor and thanksgiving of a man for God's law. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me. Luke 22, 28-29. You have continued with me. That means I thank you. And so... He's thanking you for being in or continuing be, to be in his trials. And he rewards you for this work, for this, for doing so. I bestow upon you a kingdom. That means I thank you. And my thanks, thanksgiving is I give you the kingdom as my father bestowed upon me, this kingdom. We need to understand how important it is for us to learn the discipline of godliness, how to demonstrate it in our faith, because by this godliness that we demonstrate in our faith, we are able to have communication with God with each other and by this godliness Jesus will be enthroned in our body. Amen. Let us bend our knees as who's comfortable and we will pray and all those who desire to 
confront all danger, doubt, fear, illnesses, the Lord is on your side. The goodness of God in his selective love is directed toward you because he selected you he, before the creation of the world so you could be in the image of his son. We wait for you upon this place. May the Lord bless you. I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is for you. He's not against you. He has selected you in Jesus Christ before the creation of the world. He knows your weaknesses, your pains, your disappointment and he's ready to share it with you, to comfort you, that he's able to bring you to his goal to deliver you from the desires that are fighting or battling within you, to deliver you from reigning sin, deliver you from fear of illness, fear of poverty, and all kinds of dependence. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. Without wrath or doubt, lift your hands to God. Give God the ability to respond to your prayer. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my opened heart, my wounded heart, my hurting heart. It is not bitter. It is just wounded, wounded by sin. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me by the power of your word by the power of your blood by the power of your spirit I love you not looking at the fact that I sinned before you I open up my heart and I ask you that you enter as the Lord and King and eliminate, remove this reigning sin and become King in my body according to your word. I have accepted this promise as a great wealth and I treasure this. I value it and I will never give it away. This is my crown. I thank you for it. May it be according to your word. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your words, I am washed. I am cleansed. I am healed. I am restored and I am justified and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessings of the hills and the valleys be upon you. May the blessing of the great and glorious God be upon you. May the Lord enthrone his son in your body and destroy within your body all reigning evil and sin. May this be upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you and the nation shall say, Amen. Glory to God. The Lord is blessed. The one who is vigilant over his word so that it be fulfilled quickly. And if you will look at this word, concentrate upon it, you will give him the ability to fulfill what you have asked. And let us now finish with our 
unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.